Welcome to Living Truth Radio. We're in the book of Genesis. Before we get there, though, our mission is to reach people, to equip the saved, and to reach the lost. And we need you to partner with us in prayer and in giving. So if you're part of our ongoing listening family, you've been benefiting from these broadcasts, would you go to livingtruthradio.org and donate to this ministry so that we can reach many more people. We want to reach as many people as possible, and you can help us with that today. livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. So today in the book of Genesis, we're going to look at a, a really a controversial chapter. It's filled with a lot of messy stuff. Judah making bad decisions, his sons making bad decisions. But in the end, God is going to weave it together for good and produce from the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus. He's going to redeem it all. And we're going to find even Tamar, who's at the heart of the story in the very genealogy of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Living Truth Radio a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 38, verse 15. So here comes father-in-law walking through this gate where temple prostitutes may have uh, gathered at this time. And he sees her and her face is covered. She's got on the garb of a prostitute. This almost sounds like a bad episode of Cops. (laughs) And he turned aside to her by the road and he said to her, here now, let me come into you. This is just another way of let's have sex. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law and she said, well, what will you give me that you may come into me? So Judah takes the bait. His sexual appetite will not tolerate postponement. I'm quoting another writer though he had been content to let Tamar languish as a childless widow indefinitely. Just think of the irony here. He was willing to leave her to suffer, and he didn't seem to care about the time. But the moment he saw a prostitute after his wife was dead, he had to get sexually gratified himself. See something wrong there? You know, the Bible tells us that we should be not just looking out for our own personal interests, but for the interests of others. If Judah had been walking in love, he would have done something, at least been honest with the girl and said, look, I don't want to give my last son to you. I'm sorry. Maybe we got to work something else out. But look, he just left her there to suffer. And he went on. And the first woman that he sees that he thinks he can be sexually gratified, all of a sudden, now he's willing to do that. He said, therefore, I will send you. She says, well, what are you going to give me? And he said, I will send you a kid from the flock. This is a goat. She said, moreover, will you give me a pledge until you send it? Okay, you say you're going to do this, and you're going to give me this goat. Well, what kind of guarantees do I have? So this is sex in exchange for a goat. Simply put, if you're a note taker, you probably never thought you would write a note like that in church, but there it is. But there was no goat there except for Judah. He was the goat. She says, I'll sleep with you, but she asked for this pledge, and we'll see what that's going to be. But I think here Judah has become the goat. In fact, this whole story gets my goat. (laughs) I just thought I'd throw that in for you. Anybody know where that saying came from? This story gets my goat. Comes from Genesis 38. No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea if it does. It's possible, but I don't know that, so 
So she says, well, what pledge will you give to me? What pledge, uh, he said, which uh, pledge shall I give you? He's talking, and she said, your seal. If you have a New King James ESV, it's your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her, and he went into her, he slept with her, and she conceived by him. So the child conceived for Ur was not a grandchild of Judah. This is kind of weird. Tamar was set to become the progenitress of the line of Judah, a principal matriarch in Israel, bearing the son of Judah herself. It's, it's a bit strange. This is kind of a weird thing. There's a father-in-law involved here, and it's, it's quite, quite a mess. Giving these items to her, notice her, uh, he would give his seal or his signet and his cord, is an ancient way of giving your license and social security number to somebody. It declared your identity. His signet was not a ring, but a seal. It might have been cylindrical that he wore around his neck. The staff was often carved with an equally, equally distinctive marking. So he gave some of his most personal items to her. He would take this signet off from around his neck. And if you've heard of the idea of the seal, you know that in the ancient world, what they would do is they would take hot wax, and you've heard of the idea of the signet ring, and they would impress the hot wax with a marking. And that hot wax would bear what we might call the signature of an individual. The, the tomb of Jesus was sealed by the Roman emperor, Pontius Pilate. And you had to have authority to break the seal. As I started in Revelation 5, that's the idea. The seal speaks of two things primarily. It speaks of ownership and protection. It speaks of identity as well. Now, there's an interesting verse I want to take you to this because this is a question that comes up. Go all the way to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. So people say, people have questions about salvation all the time. They call the Bible Answer Show and they say, you know, can you lose your salvation? Uh, what happens here? How does this work? Well, let's take a look, thinking about this idea of a seal. Pick up this, the account. Uh, this is Ephesians 1, verse 13. Ephesians 1, 13. It says, in him you also, Ephesians 1, 13, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel, of your salvation, Ephesians 1.13. Having also believed, so notice the progression, you listen to the message of truth, the gospel, you believe, then you are, notice, sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, for the Christian, God's seal, his impression, his mark of ownership on you, speaking of identity, ownership, and protection, is the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit, the, the modern Greek here, who is given as a pledge, look at verse 14, of our inheritance with, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit given as a pledge of our inheritance. The, the pledge is, in modern Greek, it is arhaban, and it is actually an engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring to you, promising what he's going to do. You may say, well, how long are you sealed with this promise? Go to Ephesians 4, verse 30. Ephesians 4, 30. This is talking about a Christian, and it's talking about a Christian who should not let unwholesome words come out of their mouth. If you look at Ephesians 4, 29, it says you're a new person in Christ, so you should let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, Ephesians 4, 29. But only such a word as is good for edification, that means to build up somebody, 
according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were what? Sealed for what? The day of redemption. Now, the day of redemption speaks of the final day when we experience the redemption of our bodies. That's Romans chapter 8. When the Lord comes, our bodies will get redeemed. We'll become... uh, We'll get a new resurrection body, never to be diseased, die again, etc. Praise God. But in the interim, as we battle with the flesh and so forth, the Holy Spirit lives in us, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed with him for the day of redemption. My friends, you, if you're a Christian, belong to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And he's not going to leave you or forsake you, but you can grieve him. You can quench him. And the Lord will discipline his children. So if you're messing up, what's some of the things that you feel as a Christian when you mess up? Go back to Genesis 38. How about this? Ever feel conviction when you mess up? Where does that come from? You know, when I was a non-Christian, I could sin up a storm one day, wake up the next and say, hair of the dog, baby, and do it again with very little... Uh, problem for my conscience. But I became a Christian and I discovered a new truth. You could say a new presence in my life. It was a sense of conviction and I didn't enjoy sin anymore. (laughs) Well, the moments were still kind of fun, but then I would have this deep sense of that's not you anymore. And I would go, Ouch! Ouch! What is this thing? They didn't tell me this when I walked down the aisle at the Christian church. Some of the truths we hold back for later spiritual maturity and development. We have it in the small print. You may not have read it before, but we do put it in the contract. You're sealed with God's seal. You belong to him. Now, Judah is up to no good, though. And so here he is, and he gives his most personal items to his daughter-in-law. He doesn't know that it's her, but he's with her, and she's got the stuff, and the deed is done. And then, 38, 19, back in Genesis, she arose, departed, removed her veil, put on her widow's garments, 38.20. And when Judah sent the kid or the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, so he sent his buddy to go and complete the transaction, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. It's interesting. He sends his, his buddy, his Canaanite friend, to go take care of the transaction, to honor his part, to pay what he said. And he wants his stuff back. Kind of like... Uh, If someone was holding your license and credit cards or something like that, I'm sure there was a sense of urgency. Like, please go get this stuff. You're a local around there. Take care of this for me, right? So off goes Hira, and uh, he can't find her. Where is this woman? He asked the men of her place, saying, well, where's the temple prostitute 21 who was by the road at Anaim? But they said, there has been no temple prostitute here. Hmm, strange. So he returned to Judah and he said, 
I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, there has no, there's been no temple prostitute here. And can you imagine being Judah? What? What are you talking about? Yeah, here's your goat back. Uh, I can't find this woman. Well, Judah said, well, let her keep them, lest we become a laughing stock. After all, I sent this kid or goat, but you did not find her. Now Judah worries about what the people or the men of the town are going to think of him. He doesn't want people to be telling jokes about him. You know you're in trouble when you worry more about man's opinion than you do about God's. Amen? If you've been there lately, if you've been thinking, oh, so-and-so's going to laugh at me if I say I'm a Christian, can I give you two words that may help guide the rest of your Christian experience. Who cares? Is it really that important to you? Or is God's opinion more important to you? Look, I know we all want to be liked and we certainly want to belong. But he says, look, I, I'm worried that these people, they're going to be laughing about me. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fair, fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted, Proverbs 29, 25. Now, it was about three months later that Judah was informed, verse 24, your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot. Behold, she is also with child by harlotry. Some of the versions say immorality. So all of a sudden, you know, three months is the end of the first trimester, right? So it's a little hard to be hiding a pregnancy. For a while, she could, she could do that, but now it's becoming obvious. And so... All of a sudden, the talk, you know, has come out. And well, Tamar's been loose. She's, she's been betrothed to your boy, but she's obviously been playing the harlot. And Judah, I'm sure, filled with compassion, said these words, bring her out and let her be burned. So Judah hears about it, and he's got some righteous indignation. Where was his righteous indignation before when he was doing stuff? Uh, apparently missing in action. You know, we can be pretty good at judging other people when they fall. Can you believe that? Those people. Sometimes we read the Old Testament. We're like, I don't understand. They saw all the signs and the wonders, and there they are whining. We can go back to Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. Quiet. And then there you are. And you're somewhere saying, I don't know if I want to be a Christian anymore. It's gotten hard. And you haven't gone without water for three days. Amen? You haven't really faced anything that challenging, and you're whining. <laughs> and so he says, oh, she needs to be burned. You know, maybe for Judah, he was thinking, finally, I, I have an excuse to get rid of this woman. She's, she's been a thorn in my side. Now, now we got the law on our side. Now we can just burn her, but I'll tell you this, in the irony that God's providential hand often has, the one that's about to be burned is Judah. You see, the question that has to be arising in people's minds and hearts is, who's the father? Do we know who the father of this child is? I mean, she's betrothed to Shelah and all of this, but, but who is it? What's going on here? So, it was while she was being brought out to here to take her out 
that she sent to her father-in-law saying, I'm with child by the man to whom these things belong. <laughs> Are y'all ready for this? And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. So you can see the, the people are circling, you know, like the people in, the, in John chapter 8, ready to stone the woman. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone at her. What did he say? Yeah, he who is without sin, you throw the first rock. And he started writing in the ground. We don't know what he was writing. Some people say he's writing the names and sins of all the people who were there with rocks in their hands. And all of a sudden, Judah, who is righteously indignant, she's got to be burned, man. She's done. Well, before any of these things take place, would you examine these items? See who they belong to. And Judah recognized them. It's hard when it's your driver's license, you know, it's your picture's on there. <laughs> you may have said you were two inches taller and 15 pounds lighter, but it's still you. Anybody do that on your license? Anybody want to confess? It's good for the soul. Okay, anyway. And Judah recognized them and he said, 26, she, gotta love this, is more righteous than I. Inasmuch as I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not have relations with her again. Judah was jolted. His jar, his jar, <laughs> I was going to say his jar dropped. Man, maybe that's, maybe that's a good metaphor. Although I, in my notes it said his jaw dropped. Do you remember when Nathan the prophet came to King David and told him the story? It was basically all connected to uh, Uriah and Bathsheba and that whole ugly incident. And after he tells the story, he says to David, David's indignant and says, that man should die. And Nathan says, you are that man. You the man. You're that man. What? Yeah. God gave you everything. Everything you could ever want was at your beck and call. What did you have to do? You had to go steal the one ewe lamb from this poor family. And, of course, that's the story that's told. But he stole the wife of a man who was serving him faithfully. So here's something refreshing, though. Tamar certainly wasn't innocent, but she was more righteous than Judah. But refreshingly, Judah admitted his wrong, and David did. When Nathan confronted him, he said, I have sinned. He owned it. And I, I want to give you some good news. Judah grew from this. In fact, it may have been a major turning point in his life. This is a verse that we should all remember. It's Numbers 32, 23. Be sure that your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23. Arkent Hughes says, Judah would develop remarkably during the years leading up to chapter 44 after this incident, where Judah would act as a righteous man before Joseph, pleading for the welfare of Benjamin, offering his life as a pledge to save his little half-brother. Judah became a more honorable man. This incident, instead of it becoming his end or his undoing, became a turning point. And I'll say this to you as someone who 
was not a Christian for the first 20-something years of my life, I had some major blunders, major moments of failure, things that I wish I could undo. But in many ways, they became turning points in my life. I'm not the man that I used to be. I wish that some of the decisions I had made, especially between about 15 and 20 years old, were not there, but they're there. I can't change them. I can't take them away. But I am a new man today. And for some of you, you know, you have pain in your background and you wonder, and maybe even the pain's recent, and you're like, can I pick up the pieces from here? Can I go on? And you can be a man or woman of praise. You can be a man or woman who does grow. There's a, the prophecy that um, is told of Judah. Just take a peek ahead, Genesis 49. As Jacob is prophesying over the children, he gives this prophecy about Judah. He says these words, Genesis 49, look at verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the, on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp, 49.9. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. I want you to get this. This is quite interesting. Back to 38, we'll quickly finish it. Tamar's actions were not, certainly were not righteous, but God used them to save the line of the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? Her actions, while not the best, Providentially, That means God was steering it. Ultimately, he turned it together for good. That's the theme verse of Genesis that we've been talking about. What you intended for evil, God, what? Intended for good to save many people alive. And it came about at the time that she was giving birth. So now we have Tamar. She's obviously been spared, verse 27. She's at that time to give birth. And behold, 38, 27, there were twins in her womb just like Jacob and Esau we saw earlier. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first, a way to mark the firstborn. But it came about as he drew back his hand, that behold, his brother came out. Then she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. So his name was Perez. And afterwards, his brother came out, who had had the scarlet thread on his hand, and he was named Zerah. Once again, we're going to see in the Bible that the younger will gain ascendancy over the older. Uh, and I want to just close with Matthew 1. So turn there, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. We'll look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I just want you to know that uh, in, at, in the book of Ruth, if you want to take a look at it later, the book of Ruth closes with a record of 10 generations from Perez to King David. That's Ruth 4, 18 through 22. Matthew quotes this same 10 generations leading to David, and they're delineated in the uh, further generations of Jesus Christ. Here's how it reads, Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To Abraham was born, Matthew 1, 2, Isaac. And to Isaac, Jacob, and to Jacob, Judah, and his brothers. 
And to Judah were born Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And to Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron, Ram. And to Ram was born Aminadab, and to Aminadab, Nishan, and to Nishan, Salmon. And to Salmon was born Boaz by who? Rahab. Now, if you circle things in your Bible, verse 3, you have Tamar. Verse 5, Rahab. And to Boaz, Boaz was, was born Obed by who? Ruth. What was Ruth? She was what? From where? Moab. She was a Moabitess. And to Obed, Jesse. And to Jesse was born David the king. And to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Who was that? That's Bathsheba. And she was a Hittite. Interestingly enough, do you know that the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ has four women mentioned in those verses, and then we'll get to Mary, who's the fifth. And the four women in the genealogy of the Messiah are Gentiles. They're not Jewish. And you're like, what? Yeah, it's a genealogy of grace, and here's how we're going to close this message tonight. God is a God of grace. And we mess things up, and we often make a whole mess of stuff, and we wonder, is there any way this stuff can be redeemed? And in the very genealogy of Jesus Christ is a woman that we just read about named Tamar. And God causes all things to work together for good. Look, grace is not an excuse for sin. We all know that. But God's grace is so amazing. We want to give you an opportunity right now. Don't waste another moment without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You say, Pastor Michael, how do I do that? Simply this, you cry out to him. Lord Jesus, I believe you died on that cross. Pray it right now. Keep your eyes open if you're driving. I believe you died on that cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe that you are God in human flesh. I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. I repent of my sin and receive you. I'm going to do it your way. Let me be born again by your Holy Spirit. Give me a new start and a new heart. If you're a prodigal, pray something similar. Come home. Come back to the face of grace. That's what the Bible is all about. I mean, look, there's ugly stuff in the Bible, but it's all about a redeemer. My redeemer lives. And I'm going to see him one day. And that's our hope, folks, for all of us. Because we've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. That's why Jesus came. And he came through, you know, really a, a human line that's just so much like our families. Uh, and ugly stuff to save us. That's what God came to do. To save you and me. Trust in him and him alone for your salvation. And if you did that today, please reach out to us. If you need prayer, we'd like you to contact us. There's a contact form at livingtruthradio.org. Tell us who you are, where you listen, how the program has been a blessing to you. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, just, just say, hey, I decided to follow Jesus today, Pastor Michael. I recommitted my life today. Let us know. livingtruthradio.org, the contact form. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.